0: All right, we, are, we have made it all the way to James 3. I told you we'd start making some progress and getting through. We are still dealing with the practical application portion of James, which is really going to be until the end of the book. We are walking through the function of the Christian life. So, recap time, because this is so very vital. Wisdom. When James is talking about wisdom, what does he mean? He means you thinking God's thoughts after him. What is the require? What is the first step in that process, Christian? What would be the first step in that process? Yeah, fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom, which means a repentant faith, an actual introduction into being God's people. Do we expect the unbeliever to think like God's people? No, they're the unbeliever. Um, Wednesday, we talked about this, didn't we? Was this Wednesday? The, my, my weeks run together and I have no idea what I'm saying to who anymore. Um, we have the believers and we have the unbelievers. Why do we keep expecting the unbelievers to act like the believers? That's a train wreck looking for a place to happen. In other words, we change hearts and minds by proclaiming the gospel. That's step one. That's James's step one. But now that you have accomplished that, now what, Christian? What do you do with it in a world that hates you? And a world that persecutes you. How do you live a godly life, surrendered unto him, walking in his ways, growing in holiness? In other words, the living out of your new nature. That is what James is trying to put flesh on throughout this book. And that work continues now in chapter 3. Remember, uh, last two weeks have been your hypocrisy and your actual working out of your faith. Well, let's make sure we continue to make everybody feel terrible and dig into verse 1 of chapter 3. Sound fun? All right, let's go. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Ooh, you get to pick on me for once. Isn't that fun? (laughs) Now, let's make this a principle, because this should, based on everything else that James has said, the big fancy theological word you should use to explain that verse is, duh, duh. This is a warning and it's also an encouragement. Go all the way back to verse uh, verse 19 of chapter one. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In other words, and we talked about this, the Christian life should be a deliberate, thoughtful life. Now you know why Sunday school was what it was. We want you to actually think through things, to evaluate them from the proper perspective, Grounded on that solid foundation that Christ gives, following the teachings of the apostles as they build on that foundation, you construct your life in such a way that you are no longer thinking the way that the world thinks, no longer thinking the way that your fallen self thinks, but thinking in the way that God thinks. So Hebrews 13 comes into play. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why would I go and do a thing like that? For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. See, isn't that so nice for you guys? You get off the hook on that one, right? You're not responsible for my teaching, believe it or not. Now, this is where I've told you this before. When I start telling you to do things that are not in Scripture, what should you start doing? Thank you. You throw things at me. And then what you do what after you throw the things at me? No, you don't walk away. You run, how do you run? Quickly. Screaming from the room. My wife listens to me when I talk. Now that's an accomplishment right there. (laughs) When I start spouting heresy, the steps that you follow are, A, throw things. B, run, screaming from the room, okay? That's how this always is supposed to work. Why? Because while you are not responsible for my teaching, I am, you are responsible before God for how you live and what you follow. You're never going to get there and go, well, pastor said, and I did. Well, was pastor, right? I didn't think about that. Mm. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You don't get transformed by the renewing of my mind. You get transformed by the renewing of your mind, which means you need to think, you need to evaluate, you need to pay attention to what's going on. This is why, again, Vern's writing on the back of it, I won't take his bulletin, but this is why all these Bible verses that I read are in your bulletin so that you can check, you can evaluate, you know whether or not I'm just making things up as I go along. I typically am not, but that's why I warn you when I get off the notes, because that way you can, you can kind of be on extra guard. But I want you guys to be able to think through this, to ask questions. I've told you this before. A pastor that doesn't want you to ask questions, should you ever listen to anything he says again? No! If I haven't got time for your questions, then I, there's a big problem with me. I mean, your question may be silly, but you know what it still deserves? An answer. And if we don't know where to find it, you know what we do? We go look. Because we're slow and we're deliberate and we think through these things and we make sure we get it right. We don't just start spouting things from left field, we actually get this done. So in other words, the faithful follower should be a follower who is patient, who is slow and who is deliberate. This is not new in your Bible. Always remember this. We made a big deal about this last week. I'm going to make a big deal about it this week. Is James coming up with his ideas in a vacuum? No. What's his foundation? What are his two foundations we've been hammering? Teachings of Christ, and those are typically based on what? Old Testament A scriptural foundation for everything. So this idea of being slow to speak and thinking through things has been enshrined in your Old Testament. This is wisdom. Proverbs 17. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. It was was included in law, Deuteronomy 19. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. In other words, you can think it true all you want. If we can't prove it, what do we do about it? We leave it alone because we can't prove it. We have to trust whose judgment? God's. Nothing will escape his sight. Nothing will escape his justice. We will trust him to work these things out in the end because we can't. Now, if this is wisdom in action and the faithful following of God's law in action, do you think it should be part of a Christian life? This is when the head should go this way. Yeah. Ephesians 4. We are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. In other words, we've made a big deal about this. I want to stand firm, anchored and grounded in the world. How do I do that? By being slow, by evaluating by thinking, by contemplating, by making sure I am grounded in wisdom built upon scripture following the foundations that Christ has laid down. Anything less than that would be foolish. It would be the opposite of wisdom and sanctification requires you to do what Christian? Walk in wisdom. That's what James is getting on about. Now this would be doubly true for guess who else in this room? Yeah, me. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Again, this is why you get all those extra verses that I read. Because you can evaluate. You can make sure what I'm telling you actually has a basis in reality. This is one of the reasons I actually got into ministry. is I used to work, open to close at a restaurant every single Sunday because our owner had to be in the choir at his church. <laughs> I kid you not. I could never be in church because the owner had to be in the choir at his church. So I worked every single Sunday. So my church would be, Cameron would go to church and then come in at lunch and give me a bulletin and like give me a little rundown of what was going on. And then we'd watch that channel you should never watch in the evenings. Yeah, we used to watch TBN because it was the only religious channel. and. And I used to yell and throw things at my television because I don't even remember who it was. But one of the guys would would be telling you these things. Then he'd put up a Bible verse on the screen about what he was talking about. And me being the bored person that I am would start looking up the Bible verse and be like, that's not what it says. I mean, like if you can't even be bothered to get the actual Bible verse right, like you're not even trying to trick me well. And that's when Cameron finally looked at me after weeks. No, I'm serious. They would put up like he'd say this and it says in the Bible and then he'd say this quote and then they would put up on the screen like Matthew 24, 13. And be like, oh, there's the reference. So I'd look up Matthew twenty four thirteen, and then I'd get mad and throw my Bible across the room because that's not what Matthew twenty four thirteen said. And no, I don't know what Matthew twenty four 13, thirteen says right now. But you get the point. That's when Cameron finally looked at me. He goes, well, maybe you should be teaching Bible. I'm like, hey, and off to seminary we went. So this is how this starts. You should be able to evaluate. You should be transparent enough to know what's going on. Ask and answer questions and think through why. Because who do we ultimately stand before? God. I don't do this for you, believe it or not. I know that makes me a bad person, but I don't. I do this because I want to rightly divide the word on behalf of Christ for his people. Now, granted, you are Christ's people, and so you get the benefit, but whether there's 500 of you or whether there's five of you, we do this the same way. When we had COVID and we were barely getting 10 people in this room, if you go back and look at the recordings of the video, you know how much of this changed? Not a lot. We did it the same way, why? Because we do it as a service unto God. We worship as a service unto God. We teach as a service unto God. We rightly handle the word as a service unto God. And if we even remotely think about coming close to deviating from that plan, what's step one? Throw things. Step two, run from the room. How? Screaming. Why do we scream running from the room? So that everyone will know what's going on. Okay, there you go. Even me, oh, I, wait, what did I say? Exactly, that's how this is supposed to go. So, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bribe the whole body as well. This is also why we have to think and evaluate. I know this is going to come as a complete shock to you, but every once in a while I'm going to say something stupid. Yeah, I know, It's I, I know, I know, brace yourselves. When I do, you know what you need to be able to do? Go, um... This is why I actually look at you guys when I talk to you, because there have been times when I'm talking and I'm going, I'm getting a lot of this face. You know, you start looking at me like a German shepherd with your heads turning side to side, you know? Yeah, it's like, you know what? Someone's doing a really bad job of explaining this, and that someone is Me! which means I need to do a better job of explaining it. So we slow down, back up, and go again. Um, I had this happen years ago. Well, luckily this only happened once or twice to me. Or actually, after the sermon, someone came up to me, and go, did you mean to say, and then said something, and I'm like, no, no, I didn't. You know what we did first thing next Sunday? We corrected the dumb thing we said the week before, because that's important. It's vital that we pay attention and that we get this right. I am not perfect, and as much as it pains me, it hurts to say that and admit that out loud. But it's the reality of life. So every once in a while, I'm going to say something dumb because I am a sinner saved by grace just like everybody else. And I have the same relationship to God that you do. The only thing that separates me from most of you guys is I have a little bit more time to study the Bible than you do. That's it. And because I have that time, I take advantage of it to do this stuff. If you had the same amount of time, you'd be able to do this stuff too. It's all that separates us. Now, here's the best part Does this perfect person actually exist? Anywhere? No! How do we know this? Well, one, we have eyes and we live in the world. But two, we have a scriptural foundation. We mentioned this last week. I'll mention it again. 1 John 1. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, you have just been confronted with your inability your problem. How now shall you live, Christian? What shall you do about it? Welcome to the rest of the chapter. Verse 3. Now, if we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Now we get this. This is an argument from the lesser to the greater. You know, big animal. Stick a little stick in his mouth and attach a rope to it, what can you do? Tell him where to go. Big ship winds blowing across the ocean stick a little rudder on the back of that ship what can you do you can tell it where to go there is nothing in the christian life that is unimportant to quote the great prophets blink 182 we worry about all the small things and if you were saying oh becca got that one yes (laughs) i told you bad 80s and 90s music is what i'm here for now All the things of your life matter. You pay attention to the details of your life. Again, go back to chapter 2 in James. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. You're a transgressor. You got everything right, but you missed one little thing. Guess what? Guilty. We have a problem. So let's continue. So also the tongue, because you knew James wasn't going to leave this alone and leave you uh, unaffected here. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. See, James is going to have to make it personal, and he knew he was going to. One small part of you is able to destroy everything about who you are. That may be true for other parts of your body as well, but that's a different sermon for another day, and I will let you figure that out as you go. Now, what's the cure for that, Christian? Because I'll help you out. James didn't get here so that he could give you the answer. James got here because he already gave you the answer. So remember this. Being warned, we're off the notes, okay? You do not walk in sanctification so that God will be pleased with you so that God will save you. You walk in sanctification because God is pleased in Christ. And as you are in Christ, he is already pleased in you and you have already been saved. Did you catch that distinction? This matters. We don't change the behavior to change the person. We change the person and that is what changes the behavior. This matters for your life and for your world. Because when you look out at the world around you, it's like, why are they doing this? They're broken, they're sinful. They don't know what else to do. They don't have another foundation. They don't have another standard. What do we do about that, Christian? The same thing that changed you is the thing that changes them. We proclaim Christ and him crucified. We change the heart, and that changes the person. So James is telling you this because he's already giving you the answer. It is wisdom in action. Big fancy theological word for that is sanctification. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So in other words, Christian, child of God, you go to your good father and say, I'm acting like an idiot. Please help me. He doesn't look at you and go, moron, why would I help you? his child. What does he desire from you? He desires your sanctification. He desires your growth and holiness. He desires your cleansing and your righteousness. Therefore, he equips you for this. It's that that bad footprints in the sand analogy that I cannot get away from. I've told you this before. How many of you had that in the 90s? I know Vern did. We got to pick on Vern a little. Where you had, you know, there were two, remember that poem, it's the two footprints in the beach, and it's like, there were two footprints in the sand, but during the hardest parts of my life, there was only one, and that's when God carried you. You you know what you were doing during the hardest parts of your life? You weren't being carried, you were being drugged, kicking and screaming. That picture should have been two sets of footprints, and then one set of footprints with drag marks. As the Holy Spirit's going, no, no, you're getting through this. Stop kicking. Now, are you going to walk? Like, you've never done this to your children at the store. I don't want to, we're going. You're dragging that kid down the aisle at Walmart and then you get him to the end of Are you going to walk now? Mm-hmm. Okay. Then they take three steps and stop and what do you do? Grab me. Then you finally put him in the cart, strap him down. We're done here. Welcome to your sanctification process, Christian. Welcome to what happens when God is accomplishing on your behalf. This is why wisdom is important. The goal of Christian living, we know we're not perfect. Lord knows if we're honest with ourselves, we know we're not perfect. But what we are is redeemed. We are cleansed of God, righteous before his throne, and we will get there because of the work that Christ has done. What wisdom in action is attempting to do is saying... I'm trying not to burn down my life. I'm not doing a great job. But God, by your wisdom, by your power, by your mercy, by your might, strengthen me that I get better and better day by day. Because here's what happens. When do you typically learn the best? When people reward you? Like, how many of you are like, ooh, they gave me a cookie, I'll do that again? No, it's typically what? When life kicks you in the butt and you're like, ow. How? Okay, what happened there, and how do we avoid that from ever happening again? That's the discipline of the Lord. That's the work of God in your sanctification. You learn by failures so often in this life. Welcome to why the assembling of the saints is so important. Welcome to why wisdom is typically accumulated how? Over time. Those gray hairs that you've been winning year after year are there for a reason. They're a reminder of battles won, battles lost, and why we need young and old in our fellowship. Because I need people to look at me and go, you know, son, I see where you're going. And I went there in about 88, and you know where that ends? You see, I need that, because in 88 I was seven, okay? I need somebody who was messing up then to tell me that that's a bad road to go down. And when I look at my children coming along, or I look at the younger generation after me and go, ooh, ooh, I've made that one. That one's gonna hurt. You might wanna go a different direction. This is where wisdom comes into play from the body of believers. This is what the Spirit is teaching. This is what being grounded in scripture is meant to do for you, is it actually gives you the opportunity to stop before you get there, to evaluate, again, why are we slow to speak? Quick to hear, because we don't want to be the Peter of the bunch. Remember, John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Peter is the disciple who always put his foot in his mouth. Why? Because Peter never met a situation where he couldn't speak before he thought. It is only in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that any of that changes. Now, why can we trust that God will do this? Well, what did he promise? John 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. In other words, because you are his child, he is working with you. Because he is sometimes dragging you, kicking and screaming, he will not abandon you. Because he is working and will not abandon you, you will get there. Now, part of this is also, why do you care? See, this is the argument Paul is, um, yeah, yeah, I almost messed up myself there. This is the argument Paul is making in Romans. Well, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? May it never be. How can we who died to sin still walk in it? See, if you're, if you're sitting here hearing me and you're going, you know, what you're really telling me is I don't have to worry about any of this, that God's got this, he's done the work, he's going to do the work, and I can live however because he's going to drag me across the finish line. You don't really care about your sin if that's your argument. Believers, unbelievers. Believers care because they have been changed. Unbelievers don't care because they haven't been changed. James gives you this example in verse 6. The tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. Well, <laughs> that was pleasant, wasn't it? You know what I like about James? James? James writes like I think, you know. We all think it. James says it. And, and, and I appreciate that. Now, very important question we have to ask here. How? Like, I mean, you know this is the case. I mean, how many of you have ever sat around, like, in the shower three days later, thinking about something you've done? And how many of you have sat around in the shower three days later still thinking about that stupid thing that you said? (laughs) You're still replaying conversations from 10 years ago because, like, I cannot believe that was so stupid. What was I thinking? Because what did you do? You spoke, and then you thought, and then you realized, oh, why is this the case? Well, what does the tongue do? It reveals your heart. Proverbs 4. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Jesus expounded on this, Matthew 12. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Got to get church growth verses right here. You brood of vipers. In other words, you pit of snakes. I gotta love that. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out his good treasure. What is good? The evil man brings out his evil treasure. What is evil? But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Welcome to, once again, why the gathering of the saints, why the meeting of the church is so important. You need people that you know and who know you. Because you can pretend for a little while. You've done that. You've all been to some work party or some function for your spouse. You're like, I'm going to be on my best behavior. And, and you can be funny and charming for a few minutes, and then after a while you go home and it's like, ah, nobody talked to me. I don't like people anymore. You've all done it at least once. Why? Because you could. Now what happens if you have to go to that meeting every single day? Day in and day out. Week in, week out. Month in, month out. What eventually happens? You start slipping, don't you? I've seen this in restaurants for years. We get this guy in, you know, stick him in the back washing dishes and he's like somebody lit him on fire for a week and it's like everything's clean, it's organized, it's put in the right space and then a couple of weeks later, start noticing stuff's not where it belongs, and you start noticing stuff's not as clean as it was, and then after six weeks, you're like, why does this guy still have a job? He doesn't come in on time. He doesn't wash anything. He can't keep it up because it's not who he is. It's not how he works. It's not the type of person that he is at his core. And after a while, who you are is always going to be revealed. This is why I don't you know, try to hide my, my bad knowledge of 80s and 90s music from you guys. I don't try to pretend I'm a good person because I know that I'm not. I want you to know where this comes from. My ideas are terrible. They are not good. I've told you this a thousand times. You never want my ideas. You want God's. This is why I have to be diligent to handle Scripture correctly. Because the minute I tell you to do something and I don't have a standing or a foundation upon Christ or upon his word to tell you anything, why should you ever listen to me? I mean, seriously. Why would you listen to me? You shouldn't. You should throw things at me and run screaming from the room. Clark's like, I don't. What's your point? (laughs) You should only listen and follow, again, what was Paul's qualification? Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. The minute Paul stops imitating Christ, what should you stop doing to Paul? Following where he's going. Peter, great leader of the church, right? Speaking at Pentecost, uh, giving all those wonderful sermons in the book of Acts. Paul sees him walking astray. Sitting with the Judaizers, what does he say? Uh, uh, time out, dude. This is not the way that we go. And he flat out tells him, I rebuked him to his face. Why? Because it needs to be done. We follow after the people as they follow after Christ. If they no longer follow after Christ, we no longer follow after the people. It matters because eventually, who you are always comes out. This is again why I've told you, what should be the most honest, open place on the planet? Right here. Because I know you're no good. You know you're no good. That's why you're here. <laughs> you're he- your, your initial starting point in Christianity was, I am a wretched sinner in need of saving. Well, when you start there, it's kind of hard to convince me you're really good at life. You know that? And it's kind of hard to convince me that you're an awesome person. I mean, you may have some good qualities, but, th- but at your core, I know what? That you're a sinner in need of rescue. Good. This becomes a starting point, that acknowledgement. Now, we can point you to the kindness of God that leads you to repentance, and we can work on sanctification from there. We can build up undoing the wrongs of this world and building you up in Christ as he is redeemed and changed, changing the heart as Christ has redeemed it so that you then walk in alignment. Again, why are you now good? Trick question, because you're not, but you're getting there. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is changing, the Holy Spirit is guiding, Christ is redeeming, and we are walking and working together. It is a lifelong process. Here's the best part. You ready? Sanctification is going to kill you. Isn't it comforting? <laughs> that comforting? That was the flattest, most depressing yay, and it was perfectly appropriate. I appreciate that. No, I'm, I'm serious about that. Sanctification is going to kill you because... No one survives life, and you will war against your sin until the day you die. That's good news, Christian. Because the minute you can stop warring against it means you stopped caring about it. Who doesn't care about their sin? Unbelievers. Therefore, the minute you can look at it and say, you know, I'm good with that one. I'm just going to let that one ride. He and I are going to be buddies. I'll be Thelma. He's going to be Louise. And off the mountain, we go into a fireball at the end. Because that's where sin leads. That's where it has always led and where it will always lead. That's why John warns you. They went out from us because they were not of us. Because Jesus flat out told you, who's saved? He who perseveres to the end. James is trying to give you the tools, and that starts with being honest with yourself and recognizing that I undo me more than anybody else. Now, when we get undone, what do we like to do? What's our first step? We notice our sin. It has either been pointed out to us by someone else, or the Holy Spirit has convinced us, and we're like, oh, that's a bad one. What's the first thing you always do? Be honest. Do you ever take responsibility? (laughs) You blame someone else. It wasn't me. It was that spouse, or it was those kids, or it was the dog, or those people at work, or that idiot in traffic. There's always somebody else that made me do this thing that I have done. No, it was somebody else that revealed your heart. For that too, Christ died. Now you know where your next battle plan is. Get to work and start fighting. That's how this is always supposed to work. And that's, again, why you guard your speech. Because you know what? And this is one look. Full confession time. You ready? Oh, confession time from your pastor. Isn't this fun? <sighs> to this day. I've told you this before. I was raised by an alcoholic naval veteran. You know what that means. A drunken sailor. You know what that's a euphemism for. To this day, I still find myself going, <clears throat> That's why I was so happy one day, it's years ago, we were driving up Alpine and we got cut off in traffic. And then somebody pulled in front of us and then we slammed on brakes and then we hit this bit of traffic. And I didn't say anything, I was doing so good. And Connor from the backseat goes, what are all these nitwits in traffic doing that we can't go anywhere? I was like, yes, that is such a victory because he thinks the thing we call people in traffic is nitwits. That is so good. That's a victory because 10 years before that, that is not the words that would have been used out of my mouth. That's such a win. I was so proud of myself in that moment. And then you know what happened the minute I got proud of myself? I started letting my guard down and stopped paying attention. It's what happens in everything. There are things we fight in war against, and there are things that the Holy Spirit is looking at you going, Dude, we just did this. I know. (sighs) Thanks be to God that he hasn't forgotten me. Thanks be to God that he hasn't dropped me on my head like I would have to me a dozen times. Thanks be to God that he is still working and redeeming and rescuing in spite of who I am. Thanks be to God that I can take the time to be patient, to work out my salvation with fear and trembling and to effort in all of these things to find myself growing day by day. And look, that seems like a small victory because it is, but at the same token, Christian, celebrate them, celebrate all of them, because sometimes that salvation sanctification walk is like this. And this is the pace we're making. We're like my grandmother right there, cane. We're getting, but you know what we're doing? We're moving. It may not be the pace we like, but you know what? We're moving. Thanks be to God that he continues to drag us, that he continues to put up with us, that he continues to work in us. Celebrate those victories because it is the fight, and that is where we have to be, because that is how we honor God, is by warring against sin, building up ourselves as disciples, discipling others as he gives us opportunity, and being the faithful people that he has called us to be. It's a struggle, and it's a slog sometimes, but it is worthwhile because it is the work of God in your life. So let's continue. Every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. Hey, look at us. We've exercised some dominion here, haven't we? That was the God-given mandate, right? God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Look how awesome we are, huh? (laughs) Hee hee, hee hee. You know this is not going to end well, right? But, verse 8, you knew it was coming. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Why? Because for all our great works out there, where's our great enemy? Genesis 6, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Like the way Paul puts it in Romans 7, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my member. That's what this is. This is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. And James gives an example in verse 9 and 10. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these... Things ought not to be this way. And you know what? I agree. That's why we need help. We need help. So let's go back to Paul in Romans 7 and continue on. Wretched man that I am. Always a good start, acknowledging your own sinfulness. Who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is where your focus and your mindset are very, very important, Christian. And I don't mean in some like new age guru way, you know, you know, we, we need the power of positive thinking. No, you don't, you know, you know what the power of positive thinking is trying to get you to do, it's trying to get you to change yourself by changing your behavior. I will change my mind by what I do. I will fake it until I make it. Well, you know what eventually happens long enough? You stop faking it and you never make it. Ever. Not even one time. That's why every single generation has another one of these guys. I mean, if you go back far enough, I, I grew up, it was the, um, I mentioned this at some point, it was Tony Robbins when I was like in high school, you, doing all the, yeah, all these positive thinking things, and now they all seem to work at gyms. I can't figure that out. They all seem to be lifting weights or doing marathons or something. And it's like, I don't like running that much to to follow this mindset. But every generation has this guru that's going to tell you how to change your life and change your mind. And you change your life by changing your mind. And you change your mind by changing your life or something like that. It can't work, and that's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is Christian living. Focused on Christ. Influenced by the knowledge of what he has done. John 15. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He abides in me, and I in him. He bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Catch this. They went out of us, because they were not of us. In other words, there was a branch that claimed to be a part of the vine, but it wasn't doing anything. It was just like, hey, I like you other vines. I'm just gonna hang out. Oh, I'm not attached? That's probably not good. <sighs> and the ones that are attached, what happens to them? Snip, clip. Do you think do you think the branch likes being pruned? I mean, this is this is your metaphysical question of the day. <laughs> Does the tree scream when you cut it? <laughs> Now, we laugh, but Christian, do you like being pruned? Do you like the thought of that? That there is a part of your life that is no good, and needs to be cut off and thrown away. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of attached to all of my parts, I've had them for a while. I would be upset if they were gone. And let's be honest, you've never been attached to inanimate objects, have you? Ever, not even once. That's why you're carrying around things from your grandparents, you know, to this day. And, like, there's still stuff in my house. Can't really get rid of that. Why not? Because it was somebody's great-grandmother's, and there's pictures in black and white in my in-law's, you know, you know, picture cabinet that we can't get rid of because it was theirs. Why? Because it has a value. Welcome to why it's such a big deal that you understand that sin is a root cause in your world and that it flows from you. Because what it ends up doing is it weaves into your life. It is who you are, not just what you do. And when you have to cut that out and throw it away, it's like, if you don't believe me, put your phone down for a week. (laughs) I'm serious, just put your phone down for a week. Only use it for phone calls and emergency text messages. You know what you'll start doing like by Tuesday? You'll just start reaching for it randomly, why? Because it's part of your life. I'm not telling you you have a problem, you have to evaluate that for yourself, but it becomes a part of your life, it becomes a habit. If you don't believe me on that one, they've never closed the road on the way you go to work for like a week or a month when they do construction. How do you feel at work for that entire month? It's like, it doesn't feel right because I can't go to work the right way and it's just wrong. It's just wrong, and everything is messed up. Now, Christian, those are benign, simple things. But what happens when they're destructive? Why do you hold on to destructive things? You know they're not good for you, and yet you hold on to them. Why? Because you love them. What does a loving, caring father do for you? Shoot! That's my best knife sound. Sorry, I'm not good at sound effects. He cuts them off. Do you love that? Yes, and... No, I appreciate the sentiment, but at the same time, I was kind of attached to that. It's For your good, and it's for his glory, and it's how things need to be. Why? Because they ought not be this way, Christian. We ought not be as broken as we are, and yet, we are. How merciful and gracious and loving is God. How awesome is his mercy how great is his sacrifice, and how powerful is his salvation that it overcomes in spite of us. This is what we celebrate. This is what we have to be reminded of. Again, I'm going to do it again. You ready? This is the, the YouTube algorithm has picked up on this and keeps using this as the, as the picture. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. By the work of Christ, we have been declared clean, redeemed, righteous in the sight of God. You are working that out in real time, being redeemed, being cleansed, being sanctified with the knowledge that you will make it to the end. Why? Because you care because his work is evident in the fact that you are at war and fighting. Enjoy the fight. It is the work of God in your life and the reason why you will make it to the end. He is pruning and redeeming so that you will remain attached to the vine so that you will bear much fruit. Now, oh, James then gives another example. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh water, I'm sorry, both fresh and bitter water? And we'll keep going. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Can salt water produce fresh? Now, again, we mentioned this last week. These are obvious questions with obvious answers. The answer is no. No, it can't. Luke 3. Uh, this is John the Baptist talking to the crowds. Again, they, don't, they t- keep telling me this is a bad idea to say to visitors, but I, it's biblical. So I, I need a better argument than it's a bad idea. I'm kidding, by the way. He began saying to the crowds who are going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, wouldn't that be fun? We, need, we should do that. We'll get a gift basket for visitors, and we'll put on their pit of snakes and see if anybody gets the joke with the Bible reference on it. Bad idea, right? Terrible. Yeah, my wife is telling me a bad idea. Okay, you're right, but I just can't get past it. I think it would be funny. No one else would think it's funny, but I would think it's funny. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. James builds on that idea, right? We covered this last week. If you have faith without works, does that faith save? And the answer is... No, because repentance should bear fruits. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I tell you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, so that every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And you see this. Look, if you want to have some fun with your Bible history, go read your Old Testament. I haven't given you any other homework today, have I? Oh, I'm doing terrible today. All right, read your Old Testament for homework. <laughs> there we go be like that teacher on friday do you guys have any homework this weekend no oh good (laughs) No. (laughs) start learning to lie to your teachers yes we have all this homework in this class and all this homework in this class (laughs) i'm kidding by the way but if you want to in general understand the general flow of your old testament this is the evidence of israel a people rescued by god and left in their own power how do they do Yeah, not good. Not even a little bit good. Why not? Because people are not good. Because they are broken and corrupted by sin. And that is why we need to actually be changed. Go back to James 2. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace. Be warmed, be filled. And yes, I have to read it in that voice because it's the only way it sounds right. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. It's what Paul talks about with having a form of godliness but denying its power is this is what every man-made religion does to you. Every man-made religion tells you, you do X, Y, or Z, and you will appease whatever deity we have invented, and then you will be cleansed and go into whatever eternity we have made up for ourselves. It is human effort, human accomplishment that makes God happy with them. But biblical Christianity looks at you and says what? Good luck with that. Let me know how that works out with you. They're Billy Crystal, right? And and the Princess Bride. Have fun storming the castle! Think they're going to make it? Haven't got a chance. You have no chance in that. Your works are no good. It is biblical Christianity that tells you what? God accomplishes. God empowers. God redeems. God brings you to completion. That's what James is on about. Of course, faith without works is dead. It has no power behind it, because if there were power behind it, then the Holy Spirit would be involved, and that faith would produce something in your world. Now, how do you get that kind of faith? by doing one thing and one thing only, trusting in Christ. This is Romans 5. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone may dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, let's rewind back to our beginning examples. How do you tame critters? I grew up with dogs in the house, I still have a dog in the house. Training children and training the animals is actually not that difficult. How do you do it? Well, it's not, dif- it's not that difficult, it's wrong not that different. How do you do it? You observe behavior, you incentivize the behavior you like, you disincentivize the behavior you don't. See, with the dog it's a treat and maybe a little rolled up newspaper or make him sit in the corner or something with the, with the child. Don't use the rolled up newspaper on the nose of the children, they don't like that, they don't take to that well. I'm kidding, I didn't do that, although I did suggest it one time. My wife didn't think that was a good idea either. But isn't this what you do with children? The same idea. You incentivize what you like that they're doing, and you disincentivize what you don't like, whatever that disincentivation process might happen to be. Christian, let's take that principle. How do you tame your tongue? How do you change the words that are coming out of your mouth? You got that one. (laughs) I don't Nobody understand the words coming out of your mouth. Sorry. <laughs> how do you change your tongue? How do you change the action? Come on now. I've told you this how many times. If I want to change your action, I have to first change your mind. In order to change your mind, I have to change your heart. Change the desires will change the thinking will then change the action. In other words, if I want to change your tongue, if I want to bring discipline to your life, I have to change your heart. Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight see this is how this was always supposed to work Israel unto themselves never had a chance they never had a chance christian you unto yourself never had a chance abraham left by himself never had a chance but with god they cannot fail by his grace By his power, they cannot turn astray. I mean, let's be honest. How many of you, if you're being honest and you didn't know the rest of the story, would have been like, oh, Abraham is so bringing Isaac up that mountain and and sacrificing him. I mean, look at his history up until then. He's a paragon of doing everything that God has told him. (laughs) Yeah, no. Not even a little bit. Why? Because humans are broken. And the way that they get put back together is from the inside out. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your understanding. Surrender your life and recognize it is his spirit and his power that guides. It is his grace and his mercy that builds up. And it is his spirit that guards and sanctifies and cleanses and strengthens you. The reason you know what your sin problems are are because the Holy Spirit's gone. You see that one right there? We're killing that one next. You don't want to kill that one next? All right, let me say this again. You see that one right there? We're killing that one next. Because that's how this was going to work. And it's the heart that is in rebellion to God that keeps running away. It is the heart that is in rebellion to God that needs to be changed. It is the heart that is in submission to God that goes, I don't want to fight that one because I love that one, but. Okay. Here we go. That's how you change the tongue. That's how you change the mind. Again, I've said this before. How do you not yell at those crazy people in traffic? By sitting there going, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be mad. I'm not going to hate them. You know what you're going to do? You're going to be angry. You're going to be mad. And you're going to hate them. They're sinners in need of a salvation. Big shock they can't drive. (laughs) I'm a sinner saved by grace. Big shock, traffic in this world is a train wreck. What did I think was gonna happen? That I was just gonna have green lights and clean sailing the rest of my life? No, I'm gonna have chaos and problems because I live in a sinful world and I live amongst an unclean people and I'm going to have to work on myself each and every day because God is pruning me. Which, what's the joke? Why do you never pray for patience? Because how, how do you grow in patience? God sends you aggravating people so that you can demonstrate patience. Mm, such fun. Yeah, you get more of it. God, I wish you would take away my anger. <laughs> get ready for everything in life to annoy you to like 11. Because he loves you. And he cares for you. And he's pruning you. And he's disciplining you. And the fact that you're worried about it and think that you're failing is proof that the Spirit is at work. And it is proof that He is changing your heart and has changed your heart. So rejoice, Christian and enjoy the fights, because it's who we are, and it's how we live. We guard our hearts, because our hearts have been changed by God, and we guard them by continually returning to Christ, and knowing that it is his spirit that protects us, and it is his spirit that carries us along. And when we find the things that are corrupting, and we find the things that are tearing at us, we go, no, 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 let me cut that one off before you do, because it'll feel a little bit better if I do it. And know that if we didn't get there in time, he's going to get it because he loves us. And it is for our good and for his glory. And we can rejoice. Because Christian, these things ought not be. And because he loves us, he will not allow them to stand. And because we love him, while we mourn sometimes the things that we shouldn't, we can rejoice that we have lost nothing. Because in Christ, we have gained a kingdom We have gained a fellowship, we have gained a family, and we have gained a standing in God's court that nothing in this world can take away. And we must rejoice there because there is not a whole lot of other joy in this world many times. But in that reality, there is joy in everything. Let's pray.